the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Thank you for tuning in and welcome to the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. I've had the pleasure of being the pastor here for 24 years. And it's a great opportunity to take your phone calls and answer your questions. Whatever's on your heart and mind, I'll do the best I can. You need only to call us. 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, it's 630-5757. Uh, you can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you're driving in your car and the streets are a little bit wet out there, I'm told. Uh, the safest way to do it is use the free KSLR mobile app. Uh, just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time for our main number, it's 340 85. Don't have anything but questions today, and we'll wait for your phone calls. But I want to begin today's program by um, going back to the question I closed yesterday's show with. Uh, I just didn't think I had enough time to deal with it properly, and so I want to go back there because it is such a sensitive question. It was sent in by an anonymous person. I don't know whether it was a male or a female, but it says, if a wife was raped by a family member growing up repeatedly, and because she doesn't feel safe having sex even with her husband, how should the husband respond? Now, the reason I wanted to go back to this is because one of the things that is um, heartbreaking for me personally as a pastor, but, but frustrating a little bit, and you always have to walk that line between heartbreak and frustration. You can't get angry and you can't um, look at people and be harsh or judgmental. And, and I'm always trying to walk the line in things like this. One of the things that I think is a real tragedy in our church culture is that we don't really appropriate everything that God has done for us. We don't really have the faith to believe that what the Bible says God has done for us He's really done. And in the context of this question, Galatians 5.1 says it is for freedom we've been set free. Um, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, if anyone is in Christ, he, and I would add, or she, is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And the real tragedy here is that we continue to embrace the old. Now, this is a faith issue, not a name-it-and-claim-it type of faith issue, but just a real, genuine issue of faith. In the context of this question, if a wife really believes that what God has done is set her free from her past, then she wouldn't be afraid any longer 
of not feeling safe having sex even with her husband who's guilty of nothing. I realize that some people really, really have a bad hand dealt to them in life. I really do. Um, I can't imagine I've dealt with enough uh, sexual abuse uh, in families over our 24 years here that I have a intellectual understanding of the pain. I can see the damage it's done. But you see, as Christians, this is why we need to run to Jesus. He provides the answers. And it's certainly not Christ-like for a woman to punish her husband by withholding her body from him because she's had trauma in the past. I'm not being naive and trying to assume that people can just get over it. That's not the, the issue at all here. But what we do is we let the Holy Spirit help us deal with it and to always keep it fresh in our mind always being the victim, binds us instead of frees us. It binds us ever more deeply to the things that Jesus has set us free from. And there's simply not another model for marriage that works. I said yesterday in my brief answer in the last couple of minutes of the show that a wife's body does not belong to her but to her husband, the husband's body does not belong to him, but to her, to the wife. And if we understand that, then automatically we have no right to withhold. Now, I understand the teaching that people get in this secular world. Your body's your own. Don't let anybody violate you. If you don't feel like it, don't do it. And yet that's just the opposite of what God tells us. And this anonymous man or woman, whoever formulated the question, yeah, we need to understand the trauma that this person had sexually. But we don't need to embrace it any longer. We don't need to be bound by it any longer. And I've seen people in similar situations come through it and enjoy a full, passionate, physical relationship with their husband. And I've watched others who simply refuse to take that little step of faith. And so to Anonymous, and to those of you who have been in similar situations, Acts 5.32 says, God gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. And the idea is in power there. And when we aren't obedient, then we're on our own. And on our own is where the enemy can sort of strangle us, figuratively speaking. And we become paralyzed with fear. And we never enjoy that which God has given us as a gift. What I would beg everybody, the, the, the writers of this question, but anybody in those situations, you know, there's no benefit in trying to control the one thing you can control. Ladies, to withhold yourself sexually from your husband really means that you're out of control. I realize that giving your body away is sort of the, one of the last things that you can be in control of. But by definition, as a Christian, it's Jesus who's in control. We're never in control. We're either slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness. And to allow what somebody else has done to you in your past, and I don't care if it was 10 months ago or 10 years ago, but to allow somebody to traumatize you to the point that your life the remainder of it is surrendered to that fear is simply a lack of belief that God has done or will do exactly what he's promised us to do. And this is just one of those questions that resonates so deeply in my heart. It's almost like I can see Jesus cheering you on 
in the background and you tuning a deaf ear to him simply because you're waiting to feel safe with the enemy of our souls that wants to destroy us. I can promise you this, you will never feel safe anywhere but in obedience to the Lord. So I hope that makes sense to you and I hope it was delivered in love and um, compassion. Let's go to Johnson City and talk with our friend Wes. Wes, on line one, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. Can you hear me? I can hear you well, Wes. Thank you for calling. Yes, sir. Um, I've got all kinds of questions, but I guess uh, my original thought was uh, your thought on when people preach that we have two natures. There's some that seem to... um, have a belief that we have two different types of natures, one born again and one sinful nature of Adam. Others say that, no, we just need to renew our minds. I'd like to know your take on that uh, by reading the Word of God. And along the subject that you were just speaking of about consensual sex between a man and a woman, between a wife and a husband, uh, what's your take on uh, oral sex? And uh, I'll just leave it. I've got another question, but let's just leave it at the two, if you don't mind. Okay. Wes, thanks very much. I can I can do that. Let me answer the last question first, because it's easy. There's, there's um, nothing wrong with a husband and a wife. Remember, all sex is only righteous if, in fact, um, it's between a, a, a man and a woman who are married. Um, but But oral sex is certainly fine if you... Look closely at the Song of Songs, um, great, great love story in our Bible. Um, the the in in, in beautiful pose or prose, um, the, the act of sex is is metaphorically and beautifully laid out before us, and uh, and uh, oral sex is involved in in that story. So um, I, I there's nothing at all wrong with oral sex. Now, the, the one place that, that we, we'd want to be careful is we, we also don't want to have anybody violate their conscience. Romans 14.23 says, anything not of faith is sin. And so if um, uh, uh, one, one of the partners or the other in the marriage relationship, Wes, simply says, no, I just don't feel good about that, I can't do it, then to force um, the, the act would be um, unkind and unloving. So uh, there's nothing at all wrong with it. In fact, as far as I can tell you, Wes, the only thing who, um, that, that is forbidden between a husband and a wife, um, using Scripture as our standard, uh, would be anal sex. Um, sodomy is, is sin. It's an abomination to God. And um, that would be the only act between a husband and a wife that God simply could not approve of. So I hope that helps. Let me answer the first question, because I think it's a fascinating question, Wes, and the answer is really important. The teaching of two natures, um, it's really what Romans deals with specifically and and completely. Um, the, The teaching of two natures is clear from our scripture. We do have Two natures. Um, we, we have our, our flesh that we're going to be battling until the very end. And then we have um, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Um, Paul, I think I can put this debate to rest completely by quoting what Paul said uh, in Romans chapter 7, uh, verse 17. He says, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but, but who, who sins, but it is still sin living in me. And that's as good a picture of the um, battle between our two natures as is possible. Uh, that's why John says, uh, anybody who says he's without sin is a liar and the truth isn't in him. Uh, it's because we have this battle. And I don't want to use cliches here, but that's the spirit battle that's always going on between the flesh and spirit. Who's going to give control? It's why in Romans, I'm sorry, in First Corinthians chapter six and Galatians chapter five, we're given identifying behaviors that clearly identify whether we're in the spirit or we're in the flesh, and we're always going to fight the flesh, even 
Wes, even the great apostle Paul, my hero, struggled with his flesh. What I want to do is still Romans 7. What I want to do, I can't do. What I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. That's the old nature. Who can deliver me from this body of death? I thank my God through Jesus Christ. That's chapter 7, verse 25. He's the deliverer. That's victory in the spirit. So over and over and over, our New Testament speaks to us about that battle that we have between our two natures. When I said I don't like cliches, you know, it's easy. The one that gets fed is going to win. But but the stakes are so much higher than that. That's why we need to be in the Word. That's why we need to have our minds renewed. But the only way to have our minds renewed, new thinking, is a result, Wes, of of uh, having our minds and our consciences washed constantly in the Word of God. And so intense is this battle that there's no way to win it apart from the Spirit of God. I talk about um, getting up in the morning and saying no to myself. I'm saying no to my flesh, to, to the, the old me who still hangs around, the old me that's still plagued by sin and temptation, and by the devil who wants to cause me to fall. And that's why I take such joy when John writes, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the Spirit. So Wes, there's, there's anybody that would say there's not two natures and all we have to do is renew our minds, uh, hasn't read their Bible or at least they don't understand their Bible. The prosperity teachers that will talk about Given the faith, you can overcome temptation. You can overcome sin. Um, those who claim to have victory over sin aren't telling the truth. And I think this is a struggle that we're supposed to have every day. And when we are tempted and when we say no to that temptation so we can say yes to Jesus, Wes, that's when the Lord smiles on us. He understands our flesh. He understands what temptation is. He was tempted in all ways as we are but without sin. Now, that doesn't mean he has the same temptations you have, or I have. But he was tempted, and I'll add this, he was tempted to a far greater degree, infinitely greater degree than we were. Because he never gave in. When we're tempted, times we just throw up our hands and give up. So the the understanding is absolutely essential to, to an understanding of the book of Romans. Is yes, we have two natures the old man and the new man, we have identifying behaviors given to us that's helped us to to learn which is in charge, and then we're given the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God that gives us the power, the ability to say no to the old man and live in the newness of life that Jesus intended. Wes, great question. Thank you very much. I haven't had that question in a long, long time. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is uh, a question from Anne. She asks, what's your opinion on praying in a journal instead of just talking to God? Anne, I I have no problem with that. I I think we ought to do both. Uh, I, I think the way we get to know somebody is to talk with them, and I mean conversationally. And that's all prayer is intended to be. Um, so when we, we talk with the Lord, we're getting to know him better. But there's nothing at all wrong um, with with writing out your prayers in a prayer journal. Uh, I've shared this on the program before, but Paula did it uh, for a long time before I got saved. And, and again, I believe with all of my heart this was the hand of God uh, because she was literally chronicling, chronicling my transition from unsaved to saved and at the same time she was chronicling her pain index oh one day she'd be okay the next day she'd be um you know almost ready to crash and burn um and and, you know some people just are really great at expressing themselves through the written word and um uh, paula has i don't know how many prayer journals and she still does it. You know, it's interesting, Ann, when uh, we're here on Saturday morning, we have Saturday morning corporate prayer, uh, and Paul and I are here every Saturday. If we're in town, we're here. Um, and, well, 
people are praying and I'm just listening and I'm listening for the Spirit to speak to my heart um, as we go around the room and pray. Uh, Paula is journaling those prayers. So it's a practice that she continues this day. Now, I, I think she does it. We haven't talked about this specifically, but I think she does it so that she will remember to pray for those prayer requests. She doesn't want to forget to pray for the things that come up that are urgent. So she writes those things down and she can remember to pray. Um, but uh, again, I have no issue at all about praying in a journal. I just don't think you should do one to the exclusion of the other. So take a walk, talk to Jesus. Just have a wonderful, loving conversation based on the relationship that he paid so much for. Um, don't keep him a stranger. And sometimes uh, writing things tends to keep him away from us. On the other hand, uh, if you express yourself um, better in writing, then I think it's a great practice and something to continue doing. Uh, again, we have uh, people in our church, men and women, um, that uh, do both. So um, I'm just happy that you're praying, and thank you very, very much. Andres says, when Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments, is that a contradiction to grace? Um, not at all, because it has nothing to do with grace, Andres. Um, what Jesus is saying is, look, you say you love me, and, and we as Christians, we do. We sing worship songs, we sing these magnificent words, and and uh, we raise our arms, and some of us get emotional and cry during worship. Um, but, but see, if we say we love him, but don't actually listen to him or obey him, then the truth is that we don't really love him at all. Again, John, the apostle of love, says, if you say you love Jesus, but do not do what he says, then you're a liar and the truth is not in you. And John is really direct. Now, he writes this as a 90-plus-year-old man, the man who historically throughout the early church was known as the apostle love. Even as he aged, he could only say love. Um, believe me, he, he, he wanted us to be clear. To say you love Jesus means you have to obey him. So it's not a contradiction to grace at all. It's not uh, about salvation, certainly not a work salvation uh, passage of Scripture. Jesus is just telling uh, those who are listening to him that the way you express your love is through obedience. And I think the truth is, Andres, that a lot of people um, who say they love Jesus aren't really all that interested in doing what he tells them to do. God tells you to be kind to your wife and to your children. I'm speaking to men now. And you aren't. How can you say you love the Lord? If you hold on to unforgiveness. And he tells us to forgive as we've been forgiven by God. And then we realize that the person that we are holding unforgiveness toward is somebody that, that Jesus loves. How can we say we love him if we're unwilling to do that? If we drink too much, if we smoke marijuana, if we use filthy language, Jesus would say, I know you say you love me, but this doesn't feel like love to me. And so on this, it's important. And Jesus is simply saying, look, here's how you're going to find out whether or not you love me. I always think of Matthew when I think about this passage of Scripture, Levi, the tax collector. And I love the fact that uh, Matthew was uh, a smart businessman. He was always where Jesus was as a tax collector. That would have ensured huge crowds, and, and he would have had a lot more people to overcharge and steal from. And so it was good business to be around Jesus. But Matthew would have to listen to all the things that Jesus said. Nobody ever taught like this man, Jesus. And Matthew would hear it all. Matthew would see the miracles that were being done with his own eyes. And one day, out of the blue, there's no record of any interaction between Jesus and Matthew. And one day, Jesus walks up to him and says, follow me. And without even thinking about it, 
he left everything on the spot and immediately began following Jesus. You know why? Because he realized two things. One, who Jesus was. The second thing he recognized was that I love this man. Sort of like we would say, put your money where your mouth is. Jesus is saying, look, put your money where your mouth is. If you love me, you will obey me. So, Andres, I hope that answers your question. Thank you for sending it in. Here is a question I think I can do. We're running out of time. Got one minute. But here's one I think I can do in a minute from Beatrice. She says, is yoga okay for Christians? Um, yes, Beatrice, yoga is okay. Yoga is healthy. Yoga is stretching. Now, here's what's not okay. To get lost in into nothingness, to, to get lost in deep contemplation or try to empty yourselves, that's nonsense and we know it is. So, so use yoga and replace the meditation that um, Eastern yoga suggests with thinking about and talking to God. And it's a very, very healthy thing. I had this question a couple of years ago. David Robinson, who loves Jesus with all his heart, the Spurs Hall of Famer, um, he's a big yoga guy and he's pretty healthy. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. We'd love to have your phone calls. 340-9585. We'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the program we have 30 minutes left uh in today's show 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR here is a question from Devon, and I hope I'm saying that right, D-E-V-O-N. He says, my church plays some music by Hillsong and Bethel Church during worship. I know both of those churches are doctrinally unsound, so is that something we should speak to our pastor about? Devon, I've had more questions in the last month about music. Somebody must be championing this online in one of the online discernment ministries uh, about uh, these heretical churches and playing the music that comes out. I'm not one who believes in guilt by association. So here's w- what we do. We have some Hillsong uh, songs that, that sneak into our worship sets from time to time and a couple of Bethel songs or Jesus culture songs. Um, and my standard, Devon, is always, are the lyrics of this song scripturally correct? Um, I, I don't want a stupid lyric. I don't want a, a lyric that is not consistent with what the Word of God says. But if it's just the music, I think that's something that we, we have to be willing. I mean, think if, if, if you um, decided to do without Hillsong music just because the church is goofy. Uh, nobody would sing Shout to the Lord. I mean, that's a worship classic, and people love it, and doctrinally, it's fine. There's not a problem with it. So why would we say, I don't want that song just because it's connected to Hillsong? Now, I'd have more problems with Bethel Church than with with Hillsong, but the, the truth of the matter is they both got real doctrinal errors, and yet there are Christians there, real believers in both churches, who have been touched by God and gifted to do these things. Now, the, the fruit or the proof of that gifting is in the result. Now, you, you give me a song with lyrics that aren't doctrinal, and somebody says, well, you know, God just touched my heart and he gave me this song. I would say, God didn't give you that song. And the reason I know God didn't give you that song is because it contradicts what he's already told us in Scripture. Now, maybe maybe you've got a great music track going on in your heart or in your head, but, but we have to be serious about our lyrics. You know, on stage in churches ought to be a sacred place, and I, I don't mean anything weird by that, but 
But when I'm up there to teach the word, I would expect people in my church, if I was espousing some doctrinally bad position, I would expect that people in my church love me enough that they would call me on it, not angrily and not disrespectfully, but they'd say, Pastor Ron, you said this, and I, that's not what the Bible says. And we'd talk about it. Well, if my worship pastor, my worship team is on stage, and my wife is one of the people that sings on our Sunday worship teams, I wouldn't want her singing lyrics that were doctrinally unsound. But let the song stand on its own rather than be the Holy Spirit police, and that's what these online discernment ministries are doing. And this seems to be a really hot topic online, I guess, because, again, I've had more questions in the last month about Hillsong and Bethel uh, worship um, than, than in all of the other years doing this program combined. Uh, if your church is singing songs that have lyrics that are not correct doctrinally, then, yes, you should go speak to your pastor about it respectfully and lovingly. If you get the response, well, you know, it's just a song. It's not that big a deal. You know, everybody likes the song. It's really popular. Every song that the lyrics appear on the screen, people are raising their hands to it and singing. Every song needs to be doctrinally, lyrically so correct. And if that's the case, I would want somebody to come to me in my church. But if somebody were to come to me, and this has never happened here, thank the Lord, but if somebody come to me and say, uh, Pastor Ron, I don't think that, that we should sing Hillsong or Bethel songs. Uh, I would say, okay, let's put up the song, tell me what's wrong there. And if they couldn't, I'd tell them, look, you're judging an entire movement by some goofy things that are going on. And then I would say, that you try to find me a church where there aren't some goofy things going on? Now, I would hope there's not goofy things going on here at our church. But... Um, I think maybe we ought to chill out a little bit, not be so willing to point a finger at other people. Let me also say this, Devon, and this isn't directed at you. This is directed at the controversy. You know, one of the things that the enemy does is try to get our focus away from examining our own hearts. So if our focus is on that church over there that's got some problems, then I'm unable to hear the Holy Spirit speak to me about me. And we've got to recognize that. And these guys, these ladies who are online, writing these online discernment blogs, calling other people heretics, um, believe me, they're unable to look into their own hearts. And I can promise you there's no spirit there. Because if the Spirit was there, love would be there. Not acceptance, not affirmation, but love. And that's not what you find in a lot of this stuff. So I hope that helps a little bit, Devon. Anonymous says, How do I deal with my sexual desires as a single woman? Uh, (laughs) I've not been a single woman. Uh, I've been... Married, it seems, forever. And when I say that wonderfully. I've been blessed. Um, but, but here's what I can say to you. Every single person, male or female, needs to ask God for the gift of celibacy. Now, it's not something that's going to be forever. But while we're single, we need to live celibate lives. We need to protect ourselves. We need to protect what we see. We need to protect what we read. We need to protect what we look at as we're out and around in the world. So here's what you do. You take your sexual desires. Thank God that you um, have been given the gift of, of sexuality. It's a gift that he intended for you to have. But then you ask him to do this. You say, Jesus, would you take this gift and sort of hide it away for a time? until it's time to unwrap it. Song of Songs says twice, do not awaken desires before it's time. And so what you need to do is take those thoughts captive, 
instead of giving in to them, take those thoughts captive. And by that, you simply say, Jesus, I know the things that are going through my mind right now, but I choose to talk with you. I choose to serve you. I choose to take a walk with you. That's what it means to take the thought captive. But believe me, there's nothing wrong with having sexual desires. Um, just ask the Lord to bring you the the man in your life that can fulfill those sexual desires as your husband. And do the best you can not to give in. You know, Anonymous, I do a uh, an awful lot of pre-marriage counseling here over the years, and I've had a whole bunch of men and women both say to me in pre-marriage counseling that the one thing they really and truly regret now that they found the man or the woman that they're going to spend the rest of their life with and serve Jesus with, the one regret is that they didn't save themselves for that man or woman. Paul and I, we make friends wherever we go. And uh, recently we had uh, one of the employees at this place that we go to talk about, hey, I'm getting married, I'm getting married. And and we were happy for her, and we just thought, boy, that's really great. And then the more Paula was able to speak with her, um, it was clear that she was living with the, with the boyfriend, the man that she was going to marry. They're both pretty young. And she was living with them. And um, so the wedding was on a Saturday night late, and um, you know, she's back to work on Sunday the next day. And I'm just thinking, you know, there's nothing special about that. They've already given their sexual desires a place to sin. And so the wedding night is like any other night, and that's one of the things that God doesn't intend. Now, Paul and I, to, to, to be completely candid here, Paul and I have been together for 49 years. We've been married. Um soon for 47. So we did what I'm telling people not to do now. And neither one of us were believers. But there's always a cost to pay. God will redeem a man or woman who's given their bodies away. But his best plan has always been to save yourself. So lock them up. God will do it for you. When you're tempted, open your Bible. When you're tempted, take a walk with Jesus. But remember the prize. The prize is on your wedding day. You're going to be able to unwrap yourself and give yourself to your husband. And from that point forward, his body is yours and yours is his and no one else's for the rest of your life. What a privilege and a joy that is and how that pleases the Lord. So Anonymous, I hope that's practical for you. 340-9585. He, here's a question from Raymond. He wants to know, what are your thoughts on David Jeremiah's ministry um, Raymond, I'm a fan of, of Dave Jeremiah's ministry, not every Sunday, but most Sundays, especially those Sundays when Paula has to be here at the church early for uh, sound checks and stuff for worship. Uh, 7.30 on our TV station, Channel 170, I don't know what that is, it's, I'm a, a, I can't even think of my cable guy, my cable company now, but um, uh, I watch David Jeremiah. Now, I know David Jeremiah a little bit. I've met him two times. I met him at a pastor's conference that he was speaking at, uh, at Calvary Chapel. And I met him here in San Antonio when he was uh, the speaker uh, for uh, KSLR Pastors Appreciation Luncheon. And um, um, he is a, a genuinely nice man, um, doctrinally, um, there is so little difference between what he believes and what I believe uh, that it's negligible. Uh, I, I think I've only one time heard him say something that I would have thought, hmm. But, but 
His eschatology is, is, is great. So doctrinally, he's very, very sound. Uh, but you know what I really like about David Jeremiah the most? Now, he's older than I am. It's hard to believe, but he's older than I am. And he's had some physical problems, um, dealt with cancer, and had some pretty close calls. Um, and yet he is as energetic for Jesus today as he was 20, 30 years ago. I mean, he's a guy who's finishing his race the way I want to finish. Uh, he's, he's still not looking to sit back and rest. You know, it'd be easy for him to put it on autopilot, but he's still out doing uh, large events. He wants people to, to come to know Jesus. Uh, he's still uh, the church that he's pastored for many, many years is is still the church that's that's spending all the money they get in ministry. They're they're doing what they can to um, trust the Lord. Uh, he realizes that 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 church belongs to Jesus and not to him. Uh, and we, he and I, talked about some of the similarities in the sense that. Um, you know, sometimes while it'd be great to have all the money you need in the bank, that's not what Jesus would have us do with his resources. And so I love the fact that he's not only finishing well, but he's trying to finish better than he started. That was another thing that we talked about as we get a little bit older. Um, we don't want to just coast. And David Jeremiah's not coasting. He is as uh, energetic and taking risks faith. Uh, So I'm a big fan of David Jeremiah's ministry. So I hope that helps you. Here is a question from Henry. Was Charles Taze Russell a prophet? Uh, Henry, yeah, he was a false prophet. Um, But but no, certainly not a prophet of God. Now, for those of you who don't know, Charles Taze Russell is the founder of what has eventually turned into the Jehovah's Witness religion. And uh, he is a uh, a liar, a false prophet, a cult leader. Um, I don't know how more direct I can be than that. Um, he is uh, somebody you certainly don't want to read the Watchtower. Um, it, no, just stay away from all things Charles Days Russell. Here is a question from Randy. Why would we pray if God already knows how everything is going to turn out? Um, Randy, the reason we pray is because God said to do it. Now, I, I don't know why that's hard for us. Um, we're to pray without ceasing. That's what the Bible says. We're always to be in conversation with the Lord, with thanksgiving, with a grateful heart. We can make our request known to God. So we pray because he told us to, and we call him Lord. So we pray because we're supposed to. We also pray, Randy, because the more time we spend with the one to whom we pray, the more like him we'll become. You see, I think so often we have an idea that prayer is, I'm going to keep praying until God changes his mind and does what I ask him to do. Uh, the, the purpose of prayer is never to get God to change his mind and come over to our side. The purpose of prayer is in conversation, supernatural conversation with God, we're becoming more and more and more like Him. And the result is that, well, we end up thinking like Him, living like Him. Delight yourself in the Lord, David writes, and He will give you the desires of your heart. It doesn't mean He's going to give us what we ask for. It means He's going to put the desires from His heart into our hearts And then we know that we're praying in the will of God. The other thing I want you to understand, Randy, is the fact that God knows how everything is going to turn out doesn't mean that he causes the things to turn out the way they do. It just means he knows. So if I tell you, we'll pray about something, God knows first where you're going to pray. Second, he knows what your motives are. He's going to test you to see if it's important enough to keep praying about. And then the result is he's able to eventually say yes. But he doesn't cause those things. 
But don't be fatalistic in your relationship with the Lord. Like, well, you already know, so what's the point? The point is that when you speak to Jesus, you spend time with Jesus, you're going to be more and more like him. So, Randy, just pray. And yes, he does know how everything is going to turn out. Uh, I'm doing a Bible study tomorrow night in Isaiah 34 and 35. And um, everybody knows how it's going to turn out. That's what Isaiah 35 is about. It's just a glorious time on earth during the millennial reign of Christ. But remember, God wants to bring those of us who are here with him to that glorious place. So I hope that helps. Hold your quiet today and yesterday. 340-9585. Janet says, Pastor Ron, my problem is that I'm a people pleaser. How can I change that? Well, Janet, I don't want you to change it. I just want you to change the, the person that you're pleasing. Please, Jesus. Please, Jesus. Understand that we can never please people enough. Understand that no matter how hard you try to please people, there's always going to find fault. Because honestly, Janet, in our flesh, we we have faults. So instead of looking for affirmation or you're looking for your value from people, appreciate and understand your value to God. Most of the time when we see people who are trying to please other people, it's because, and I'm going to quote a great theologian who is my wife, Paula, it's because we don't know our value to God. If you really understood your value to God, if you really understand that you're the pearl of great price, then you wouldn't have the need to please others. Now, we can serve others, and we want people to be pleased with us, But honestly, Janet, what people think just can't matter. Here's another thing I think that that we have to deal with if we're people pleasers. I think, Janet, we have to toughen up a little bit, spiritually speaking. When I say we have to toughen up a little bit, um, we've got to get to the point where if our heart is right with God, remember, he knows every heart, he knows every thought, he knows every motive of our heart. And if our heart is right with God, it doesn't really matter what other people think or say. Now, I'm like you, Janet. I want people to like me, and I want people to know my heart for the Lord. But if they don't, I just want to make sure that it's not my fault. So, rather than pleasing people, Focus instead on pleasing God. And I would add this one last thing. Focus on how pleasing you are to him already. You know, when we try to please people, we're trying to earn their love. Well, sometimes when we're trying so hard to please God, it's the same thing. And we already have it, Janet. So just refocus. Say, nope, I only care about pleasing Jesus, he's the only one that really matters. And then when that happens, you're going to find out that you're pleasing more people than you ever imagined before. So I hope that helps. Here is a question from Mark. He says, we're not supposed to judge. So what does it mean that we will know them by their fruit? Well, Jesus was talking about you'll know his true followers by their fruit. Now, What he's talking about is the way they live their lives. Um, If I look at somebody, and I I don't have to judge their heart at all, uh, but Mark, if I I look at somebody and that somebody is a thief, um, I don't have to judge their heart to know that they're not following Christ. If I look at somebody who says um, they, they, they know Jesus, they're saved, but they're having sex with people they're not married to. I don't have to judge your heart to say what you're doing is wrong. And the Bible says if you live like this, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. And I could go on and on with the list of sins. But the idea is, I think sometimes we have a tendency to believe that everybody who says they're a Christian really is. 
where everybody who ever answered an altar call or got baptized, well, yes, they're going to heaven, they're a Christian. Jesus says, look at their lives. Now, for Christians, Mark, this is important because we know what fruit we're supposed to demonstrate. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. And so if somebody is claiming to be a Christian, but those characteristics are not evident in their lives, but then I don't judge their heart. I can simply look at the evidence and judge their life. So we're supposed to judge fruit. We really are. We're not supposed to judge hearts. That's the purview of God alone. And so what we do is we talk to people. The, the, the idea, remember, is winning people. And if we do that, oh, how pleased Jesus will be with us. Now, if I'm going to somebody, Mark, and they say they're a Christian, but they're living a life that is decidedly unchristian. And I say to them, you know, what you're doing is wrong. And you say you're a Christian. How can you claim to be a Christian and live like this? And if they throw the don't judge brother card at me, then all I have to do is say, well, how would anybody know you're a Christian? Watching the way you live your life, what evidence is there that you're a Christian? And I'm, as old as I am, I'm pretty direct. I just say, well, what makes you think you're a Christian? So, Mark, judge fruit, but don't judge hearts. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. Again, the phones have been quiet, but I hope the questions were answered okay. You've been listening to the Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. I'll be back, Lord willing, tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.